0: bob murphy show episode 270 there's a tidal wave coming what you gonna do get ready for another episode of the bob murphy show the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. It's your source for commentary and interviews conducted by a Christian and economist. Now, here's your host, Bob Murphy. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Bob Murphy Show. In this episode, I'm going to be explaining what the heck we're doing over at Infineo. So, some of you may already know this, but there hasn't been an official announcement here on the podcast. I am now amongst several hats that I wear, the chief economist with the company Infineo. That's I N F I N E O, all lowercase, like EE e. Cummings. And I thought I would take this episode to explain what we're doing over there because it's a good point as we've got some white papers finished, and so now's a good time. I thought to take a pause and just an update to you good folks out there in Bob Murphy land. What it is in a nutshell is Infineo is marrying whole life insurance with blockchain technology. So for those of you out there who are familiar with some of my earlier work in the former area, you may want to just skip ahead in this episode because I don't want to leave people behind. So I want to first, what I'm going to do is explain how you can use whole life insurance policies is cash management vehicles. And then once you understand that, then you're going to see, okay, Infinio now builds upon that by introducing blockchain technology into the equation. All right, so if you're already well familiar with how you use whole life conventionally as cash management, you might want to skip ahead. I don't know the timestamps because I don't know how long it's going to take me to get through that. Okay, so quick... Crash course, that's actually hard to say quickly, in using whole life insurance policies for cash management. So, starting with basics life insurance, what's the difference between a term policy and a permanent policy? A term policy, as the name suggests, is just enforced for a specific term. So, maybe it's a one year term policy or a five or a 10, 20, even up to a 30 year term policy you can get easily in the United States. Okay. And typically they're going to be what's called a level premium, meaning you pay the same dollar amount for the premium payment, whether it's monthly or annually, for the entire duration of that term. So, for a given death bill, let's say you get a million dollars of death benefit, let's say you're 20 years old. If you have a one year term policy, that's going to be pretty cheap, right? Because the chance of you dying, if you're a 20 year old and you're in normal health, let's say, during that one year period is pretty low. And if you do happen to die, they pay a million dollars. And so the amount they would have to charge you to have that policy in force is fairly low because they issue lots of policies like that. They collect a small premium payment from all the policyholders. And then the small fracture that dies, they just pay a million dollars to that person's beneficiaries, okay? And so they bring in enough from the whole pool in order to cover the very few death benefit payments they got to make, all right? In contrast, if you got a... 30-year term policy, right? So you're 20 years old and you take it out, you pay the same dollar amount in the premium, let's say it's every month, for the next 30 years. And that during the entire span, if you ever happen to die, then they have to pay a million dollars to your name beneficiaries. Well, they're going to have to charge you a lot more than they did for the one-year term policy. And the reason is pretty simple, because the chance of you dying goes up as time passes right? By the time you're 49, during that year of your life, you're much more likely to die than when you were 20. And since they're charging you the same dollar amount by construction through the whole time, effectively what they're doing is they have to charge you more in the early years to compensate for the fact that your mortality is going to be much higher later on. Okay? so that's how that works. In contrast, a permanent life insurance policy, as the name suggests, is in place permanently. It doesn't expire the way a term policy does. Incidentally, so with a term policy, let's say you're a 20-year-old and you got a 30-year term policy. After you turned 50 and that thing expired, you would now be without insurance. If you wanted to get, continue to have life insurance coverage, you would have to go out fresh into the marketplace and apply for it. And even if you were still in perfect health for a 50-year-old, the rates would be a lot higher if you wanted to get it for the next 30 years than they would have been, or even if you just want to get it for the next 10 years, the monthly rate would be a lot higher than it was before, okay? And you might even be uninsurable at that point. If you had developed some condition in the meantime, by the time that first policy expires and now you gotta get a new one, they might just say, no, but now you've got a heart condition or you've got a brain tumor or whatever. Okay, so a permanent policy in contrast is in effect for your entire life permanently. And so that thing, the way it's designed in the United States The new numbers are that when you take that policy out, you keep making premium payments as long as it's contractually due and there's different configurations. Some of them, like when you hit 65, then that's the last time you got to pay. Some it's, as long as you're still alive, you still have to pay. And the numbers vary accordingly. But so long as you satisfy your contractual obligations to make premium payments on a permanent policy, it never goes away. The only two things that can happen are, well, sorry, three things that can happen. You could surrender the policy, in which case you you get a payment. We'll talk more about that in a minute. You die, your beneficiaries get paid, or you attain age 121. And then at that point in the U.S., the permanent policies endow or mature, and then you get this, quote, death benefit, even though you're still alive. right? So that's the sense in which those things never expire. They're always going to pay you, depending on what happens. Okay? A whole life policy is a particular type of permanent policy. There are other types of permanent life insurance policies that are not whole life. But for the remainder of this episode, we're talking about whole life. That's like the plain vanilla variant. Okay, so other things equal, for a given death benefit, a whole life policy's premium is much higher than a term policy's, right? So if you're 20 years old and you take out even a 30-year term policy with a million dollars death benefit coverage, the premium is going to be a certain dollar amount, let's say per month. Whereas if you take out a whole life policy with the same death benefit coverage when you're 20 years old, the monthly premium payment that you're going to have to make on that is much higher. Why is that? Is it because whole life is a bad investment that they rip you off? It's not a competitive? No, the main driver of that difference is the fact that if you think about it, a whole life policy when you're 20 years old is effectively a 101-year term policy, all right? And so just as you, it's pretty intuitive why the premium, the fixed-level premium for a given death benefit on term policies goes up if the term goes from one year to five years to 10 to 20 to 30 years, and that's not ripping off the consumer, that's just, duh, that's just obvious actuarial reality. Of course, they gotta charge you a higher premium for a given death benefit the longer the term is. Well, if you extend the term out to be 101 years to cover when you're 98 years old and you're still paying that level premium, of course the premium is going to be higher, okay? But now think through the implications of that. In practice, with these permanent policies, people are going to be paying a relatively high premium amount into them, perhaps for decades. And so the life insurance company is going to be collecting those payments And then what do they do? They don't just sit on it. They go invest it in assets. Typically, a lot of fixed income, like investment grade, corporate bonds, treasuries, maybe some municipal bonds, things like that. A little bit of mortgage-backed securities, but they backed off that somewhat, okay? Because what they're trying to do is match their assets and liabilities. That their actuaries look at the outstanding pool of policies and they try to estimate when the death benefits are gonna be coming due. They obviously don't know with certainty, They have to make projections and they want to have cash coming in the door when they have to make those death benefit payments. All right. So they structure their assets. They try to match it as best they can. Okay. So in a sense, if you've got a whole life policy and you've been paying into it for years upon years, the life insurance company on its books is holding a bunch of assets, typically bonds, that if you want to think of it this way, are like earmarked. To back up your policy. All right, I'm being a little bit loosey goosey here with it, but I think for our purposes right now, that's okay to think of it like that. So that gives rise to two important features for the policyholder above and beyond what's available with a term policy. So, with the term policy, there's nothing wrong with it, it's the pure function of life insurance, providing death benefit coverage, that you're paying this fixed amount to keep a flow of insurance coverage in force. And then when you stop paying it, if you haven't died and you decide at some point you want to stop paying that or stop renewing it if it's rolling over and the rates keep adjusting based on your new mortality, at some point you might stop. And at that point, the flow of insurance coverage ceases and you walk away. And it's not that you got ripped off, just like if you rented an apartment and you paid your rent month after month for several years maybe, and then when you were done paying rent, the landlord said, okay, get out. It's my property and you did and you had, quote, nothing to show for it. It doesn't mean you got ripped off. It was a voluntary exchange and you paid your monthly rent in exchange for a flow of shelter services. Same thing with a term policy. There's nothing wrong with it. But a different approach is if you bought a house and if you, you know, did it the typical American way nowadays and you borrowed money from a commercial bank in order to finance most of it, then you'd have a big mortgage on the house and your monthly mortgage payment would be knocking down that principal in the early years not very much but over time your monthly quote living payment would be not only providing you a flow of shelter services cuz you're living in the house but also you would be building equity all right and so at some point if you decided to walk away from that depending on the numbers and the situation you might have, quote, equity in the house that you'd built up over time. This isn't my analogy. People use this all the time to try to explain the difference between term insurance and permanent life insurance. So likewise, with the insurance company, now think back to what I, how I described it. You're making premium payments to keep that insurance coverage in force. And they're buying assets on your behalf, as it were. And then whatever, 15 years into it, you decide, you know what? I don't want to keep doing this anymore at that point, you can surrender the policy and get what's called the cash surrender value. And so the insurance company will give you a lump sum to just walk away. And they're able to do that because all along they've been building up this portfolio of assets, some of which, in a sense, are earmarked to back up your policy, okay, actuarially speaking. Okay, so now there's that element. So that's not typically available with a term policy, right? You can't, eight years into a term policy that's, let's say the 20 year term policy, say, you know what, I'm done, but I've paid in a lot in this thus far and I haven't died. So can you give me some of my money back? Like they're gonna say, no. Just like you can't say to your landlord if you're renting an apartment, if you want to break the lease or something, (laughs) you're certainly not getting money back there. If anything, they're gonna say you're still on the hook, but you get the idea. If you choose not to renew the lease, let's say it's like a one month renewal. Okay, so there's that element. Now there's another twist. Suppose you've been funding that policy for years. There's a sizable, oh, I should mention the cash surrender value. It's not due to whimsy. When you originally take out that policy, you sign the contract, you know, agreeing you're going to pay this schedule of premium payments. They're agreeing to pay you the death benefit. On top of that, there's a schedule of guaranteed cash surrender values that rises over time. So it's like a staircase. So there's this minimum amount that it's going to increase over time as long as you keep making your premium payments, that they'll say, if you were to surrender at this date, you would get this much. If you surrendered at this date, you would get this much and so on. We guarantee that. They're on the hook for that contractually. And it's, it's not blown through the roof. It's pretty conservative. But on top of that, they say, in addition, we're being very conservative in our guarantees because we want to make sure there's no doubt we're going to be able to fulfill those. But in the typical year, because we've been so conservative, we anticipate that our portfolio performance will actually be better than we're modeling or we're projecting. So we think the returns will actually be better. And we think our expenses will be lower. Specifically, we're budgeting to have worse mortality than we actually think will happen. All right. And so that means in a typical year, then in the future, our income will be higher and our expenses will be lower than we're sort of forecasting in this pessimistic scenario or trajectory where we're making these guaranteed minimums to you. Okay. And so that in that case, what we do is we have this divisible surplus and then we, you know, after adding things to reserves or whatever, like we're supposed to do, we then distribute dividends to the policyholders if we're talking about what's called a mutual life insurance company, where the policy holders are the owners of the company. Okay. Incidentally, once you get credited a dividend, if you choose to just roll it back into the policy, then that immediately raises your cash surrender value and the death benefit. Cause what technically what's happening under the hood is you're like buying a mini policy that's already paid up. You're just doing like a one little burst saying just this one payment here, give me as much paid up insurance as I can get, like with one premium payment, as it were. And they do that and they just add it. So the cash value on that little mini policy and the death benefit, they just add that to your original numbers for that period. So from your point of view, it just looks like the dividend boosted your cash value and death benefit a little bit. Okay. So that's how it works. And again, it's like a staircase. So once your cash value goes up, either because of natural growth due to the minimum guarantees, or because they give you a dividend. Either way, once that floor goes up, it's a new floor. It can never go down, all right? That's just the way it works. And also just to help you picture it, the way these things are designed, the cash value approaches the death benefit until finally at age 121, if it's a US policy, it's 100 in Canada. That's why I keep saying if it's a US policy. The cash value will finally rise to just equal the death benefit. And that's why the policy completes at that point, and they just give you that amount if you still happen to be alive at that late date. Okay, so that's how it works. Last little zinger, curveball. Suppose you know you're twenty years into the policy; it's a million dollar death benefit, and you've got two hundred thousand dollars in cash value. And now let's say you need money; you need fifty thousand dollars, let's say in cash but you don't want to surrender the policy. You like having that life insurance policy in force. You think it's great. You want to keep it in force. You don't want to lose your death benefit coverage, but you really need $50,000. So besides giving the option of surrendering the policy outright, you also have the contractually guaranteed ability to borrow money from the life insurance company. It's called a policy loan, where the cash surrender value at that point is the collateral on the loan. And so all the you know, stipulations are spelled out in the contract when you originally sign it, You know what the interest rate will be. And typically now it's like based on some market index plus a cushion or something. But that's how it works. And what's neat about this is it's very quick. Like you can do it online and the money might hit your checking account that you've already previously linked to your life insurance account might hit within two business days or something. And in contrast, most other lenders, even if there's collateral, you know, home equity loan, or if you're borrowing money to buy a car or whatever, they're going to certainly run your credit, see what your credit score is. They might ask you for what your income is, ask you to list some of your other major expenses. They will have a repayment schedule. And contrast, the life insurance company, when you take out a policy loan, they don't check your income, they don't check your credit score. They don't ask you what you're doing with the money. They don't insist on a particular repayment schedule. In fact, they don't care if you never pay the loan back. Now, how can that be? Because remember, they themselves are the collateral or providing the collateral. So they know they're getting paid back. You can't default on it. That's from their point of view, giving a policy loan to a policy holder is the safest possible investment even safer than Treasuries. Because right with Treasuries, there's a chance the US government might default. Whereas if you're a policyholder and you borrow, like in our example, you had 200,000 in cash value, we supposed, and you borrow $50,000. Then it starts rolling over, let's say at 5%. Okay? It doesn't matter if you don't pay a dime on that. You just let that thing roll. They don't care. Because they know they're getting paid back. If you happen to die... And instead of them paying the million dollars in death benefit, they only pay $950,000, right? Because they first pay off that outstanding policy loan of $50,000. And then the balance, the net death benefit of nine fifty dollars K, goes to your beneficiaries. Or if you were to surrender the policy right after you took that loan out, instead of you getting the full $200,000 in surrender value, they would first pay the loan off and then only give you the net one fifty. dollars okay? So no matter what happens, they're good because they're never going to lend you more than the available cash at that point. In fact, they leave a little bit of a margin. Okay, so that's how that works. So they don't know when they're getting paid back, but they know that they are getting paid back for sure. Because again, they themselves, it's just like offsetting their original liability to you. So that's why they know you're good for it. You have to be, because it's just subtracting how much they have to pay you in various scenarios. Okay, so it's a kind of a neat little thing there when you think about it. If you have never encountered that before, All right. So now that you understand the mechanics of these whole life policies, you can appreciate, I hope, why they're very nifty cash management tools, right? That you can have a lot flowing into these things in terms of high premium payments. I know I won't get into it in this episode, but depending on how you structure them, it can be such that the cash value rises more rapidly than with a different structure. So that In a sense, you can use this thing as a a headquarters for your cash. If you want to think about that, that you've got income, you plow into one or more of these policies. They build up cash value, and then when you have a major expense, or you know, if you have an investment you want to make, or just if you're running a business and you know you have typical expenses, and instead of you you know relying on an outside line of credit from a commercial bank, maybe over time you transition and you're using you know these whole life policies is the vehicles for managing those cash flows, okay? There's also a lot of tax advantages in the U.S. in particular, but I won't get into that stuff right now because that's gonna take us too far afield, okay? You just need to kind of know the basics, which I've now given you. All right, so that's great. There's a whole cottage industry in the life insurance world of financial advisors who are aware of these properties of the whole life Insurance policies, particularly if they're designed in a certain way, and that's how they explain it to their clients and prospects. To say, you know, you should really look at these things. That yes, they provide death benefit coverage, but they also give you, you know, we might call living benefits. All right, so that's great. There you go. So now, what Infineo does? So the founder of Infineo, Cole Snell, this was his idea that he decided. He said, okay, this is great. I know how whole life can be used for cash management. There's also all the stuff going on in the world of blockchain technology. So what, can we combine those two? And yes, we can. And that's what we're doing at Infinio. And so Cole recruited me and showed me the benefits of this and you know, got me to see that they were serious. He's got a world-class team. And that's why I realized, oh, this is a team that I want to help too. And so that's what we're doing. So now let me just explain. There's several different Avenues we're pursuing. Let me just talk now in the balance of this episode about what we're calling the sound token, and this is what our first white paper talks about. Incidentally, if you want to read the white paper, we have made it available with a link. So the link I will provide if you go to bobmurphyshow.com/270. That's slash 270. Then you can see the link if you're curious and want to go actually read our first white paper that talks about what I'm going to summarize here in greater detail. Okay, so the basic premise is we are going to collect a portfolio of whole life insurance policies that are designed the way that allows for relatively rapid cash accumulation, and then we're going to place the cash values of that aggregate pool of policies Into a bucket, and then we are going to issue digital tokens that are fractional claims on that bucket. That's the idea. And so those tokens, for those of you who know this terminology, they're technically security tokens. Right? You know, it's we're all compliant with the SEC and everything as far as that goes. So they're not, you know, unbacked. It's not like Bitcoin. These are digital tokens that entitle the owner to a fractional claim on the underlying pool of real-world assets, in this case, whole life insurance policies, and specifically the cash value of them, that component. Okay? So if you just think through the mechanics of that, how does that work? You've got a pool of these policies. So as we've already said, with each individual policy, anytime its cash value increases, it's like a staircase. That's a new floor. It can't go down from that point forward all it can do is continue to go up from that point. So if you've got a pool of such policies, the aggregate cash value will have that same pattern that anytime it goes up, that's a new floor, it can't go down, and that the aggregate goes up. But what's interesting is, particularly if the age of those policies varies within the pool, the evolution of the aggregate cash value of the whole pool will be smoother than it is for the life cycle of an individual policy. All right, so I didn't talk about this yet. For those of you who are seasoned pros, you already know all this stuff. You'll instantly get what I'm saying, but in case you're new. So an individual whole life policy, I just told you, whatever, 10 minutes ago, that the cash value goes up over time. But what I didn't tell you is typically, and particularly starting at 2009 going forward, until very recently, because interest rates were so low, the policies that were issued in that period, the performance early on was very modest. So in general, it's true that they do poorly early on, and then it's only later in the policy that they do better. But I'm just saying the absolute numbers were particularly bad for policies that were issued during the era of zero interest rates, basically, for short-term treasuries. In general, regardless of what the absolute level is, the relative performance is that these policies, and when I say performance, what I mean specifically the metric is if you look at the internal rate of return on the cash surrender value, right? So if you were just looking at this thing in terms of dollars in and dollars out, if you were to have surrendered it or if you want to borrow against it, you know how what's the value that they're valuing it on their own books that you can borrow against, sort of the appraisal value, if you want to think of it that way for the purposes of a loan, how does that value increase vis-a-vis the premium payments you have to make to keep the policy in force and growing? Okay. So you can calculate the internal rate of return at any given point in the policy. And so I'm saying in the early years, it's a low number and it's only later in the policy that it starts to pick up. So once you get 15 or so years into the policy, again, depending on the company and what we're talking about, but it can be pretty decent. It could be like in the high fours, low fives, which, you know, that's not better than the tech sector or something. But again, consider the safety of it. It can't go down, right? A tech stock might have a few good years, but then it can drop 40% in a day. Whereas that can't happen with these assets. Once they go up and have a new floor, they can't go down, okay? So to have that kind of a policy that also provides the death benefit coverage, if you happen to die, then you get the full death benefit too, right? So there's a rate of return component for that part as well. But even just looking at the cash value, the fact that it is so safe and it's very liquid, you can immediately borrow against it up to that value. All right? so it's a very interesting type of asset. And the fact that, again, depending on the scenario, it can have for a long stretch of its life an internal rate of return on that cash value component of the high fours or even low fives percent, that's pretty good. Again, especially if you take into account tax considerations, which we won't do it right now, okay? But like I say, that doesn't happen like that early on. So part of the advantage of dumping these things all into a big pool is that it averages out and smooths out the uneven distribution of returns during the life of an individual policy. All right. And so that means you as the investor, if you buy these tokens, which we're calling sound tokens, because it's a sound asset, you get exposure to a lot of the properties of an individual whole life policy, but it's smoother. Another advantage, why would you buy a sound token instead of just buying a conventional policy? All right. Is that your exposure is limited. Your commitment is limited, right? If you've got $8,000 $8,000 right now. And when I explained the properties of these full life insurance policies, says, oh yeah, that's kind of cool. Let me buy $8,000 worth of that kind of thing. But you can't do that with a real policy, right? You, you're signing up to make a stream of premium payments. And so to say, give me $8,000 of that, it's not like you're buying a stock with an actual policy. That's not how it works. But that is how it works if you want to buy sound tokens. You can say, let me buy $8,000 of sound tokens or whatever their market price is right now. And that's how many tokens I'm going to get. And then you can just hold those things. And it's like now you own a portion effectively of, the, of this pool that is the cash value of a bunch of whole life policies. Okay. We're also going to mimic the policy loan feature. So here how that works is if you own sound tokens, you effectively... Pledge them as collateral, and then Infinia will make a loan to you that's comparable to the terms that you would get if you borrowed directly from the life insurance company on the cash surrender value of the underlying conventional policy. All right. So, again, we're trying to mimic a lot of the features, the benefits of owning a whole life policy while avoiding some of the frictions. Okay. So, I've already mentioned one of the benefits was vis-a-vis a conventional policy is the limited commitment. Another benefit, oh, then I mentioned the smoothing out of the returns. So that's two things I've already mentioned, two advantages. Another one is that you may have reached the limits of your insurance, insurability, right? So let's say you're a U.S. citizen and you like having whole life policies, but maybe you're uninsurable maybe you got a medical condition or maybe you're in perfect health, but you've already taken out a bunch of conventional policies and the underwriter said that's as much life insurance as you can get. Also, by the way, you can take out policies. You can be the owner of a policy like on your spouse or your kids or grandkids or business partner, people in whom you have an insurable interest, you can take out policies on those people too. But again, suppose you've hit the limits all around and you really want more exposure to this asset class, if that's the way you want to think of it, well, then I can buy sound tokens or that. And then a huge, huge big advantage is thinking globally, really... To our knowledge, there's only two countries on earth where you can get whole life policies that are designed with the specific structure to accumulate cash value relatively rapidly to make them ideal as cash management tools. And that's Canada, the United States. There's other countries where you can get whole life policies, but to our knowledge, you can't really design them the way you can in the US and Canada for this purpose. okay? Okay. And there's plenty of countries where you just flat out can't get whole life period. Like you might be like a term insurance, but you can't get whole life policies. All right. So there's lots of people around the world who would like to have life insurance policies that behave in the way I've described earlier in this episode. And they're just not available to them because you can't typically, if you're a foreigner, unless you like come to the US a lot to do business here or something, a US carrier is not going to give you a life insurance policy. So it's not like they can just do it from abroad. Okay. So all those people, billions of people, now have access to this because they can just buy Sound Token instead. All right. So that's one of the avenues that we're pursuing at Infinio. Like I say, we've written that up more formally in our first white paper. So I will stop there. I just wanted to give you folks a taste of what we're doing. Beyond that, again, check out the Founders Forum podcast. That's what Cole and I do. That's the podcast we host where we Each week, interview a guest, either a business owner or someone who's got expertise in life insurance or blockchain technology. And what we're trying to do there is provide value and insight and guidance to the business owner. But even if you're not a business owner, if you're interested in any of these topics, you should listen to the podcast as well. So all that stuff is available. Go to Infinio.io. I will provide links to everything so you don't have to remember. Just go to bobmurphyshow.com slash 270. And also, again, if you want to read the white paper describing the mechanics of Sound Token to give a little bit more of the theory of it, go to bobmurphyshow.com slash 270 and you will see the special link just for the Bob Murphy Show listeners. Thanks, everybody, and I'll see you next time. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. The podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit BobMurphyShow.com.